if you mention one drug, you have to mention them all. You can't, you know, promote one over the other. Welcome to Monday Mentor, a Right Medicine series. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and today Helen Fossum is back to share insights on CME medical writing. Helen is a seasoned medical writer with over 20 years shaping her career, beginning in academia in the United Kingdom, then moving to the US where she discovered medical writing working at companies like WebMD and small remote startups. She launched her own medical writing consulting business, The Edge Medical Writing, through which she founded the Milo Initiative to provide continuing education to improve health outcomes in Africa. In today's episode, Helen dissects the nuances between medical and healthcare writing, talks about the challenges that new writers face, and shares invaluable tips on asking the right questions to provide tailored content for clients. You know, I don't think I realized that you had been an academic in the UK before you moved to the US and became a medical writer, which is pretty much my trajectory as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, where were you in academia? What's, what's your discipline? I worked with uh, Queen Mary, University of London. That was the setting or the institution I was working in. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I worked with a small, in those days, it was a polytechnic, but nice university because it was a transition mm-hmm. period between polytechnics and universities. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there I was teaching uh, nursing students, actually, uh, with the backgrounds I have. So that would be my academic career. So teaching and then went over to uh, Queen Mary. It wasn't actually teaching. It was more of managing. It was called the interactive it was actually one of the satellite that was set up by the UK Department of Health. Mm-hmm. And it was set up to promote research and development amongst healthcare professionals in the UK. So my right. role there was really to manage it, managing that, that outfit at right. Queen Mary rather than actually teaching, you know, medical students. Oh, very cool. And so how did you find medical writing? How did I find it in terms of the job or how do I find it in terms of? Yeah, no, yeah. How did you, yeah, that's a very British thing, I think. No, how did you find it actually in terms of, you know, you you moved 3,000 miles to a new country, then what? (laughs) Yes, very interesting because when I, when we relocated, and we actually relocated because of my husband, he came ahead of us because he had an opportunity to work with a company here in the United States. And it's a company, it's, it's a, the parent company of the one he worked with in mm. in the UK. And when he visited the company, you know, the parent company or the headquarters, let's just, so to speak, here in the United States, he thought, well, this is a great opportunity for us. Why don't we come? As in, you know, let's all relocate. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to go anywhere because at that time, <laughs> yeah. our children were very small. Right. And I had a great job that I liked. That's what, this is when I was at Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to move. But eventually, you know, I had to It's come. a big undertaking. It is. It is. Uh, the oldest at the time was six years old. Mm. And then we had a four-year-old and uh, literally she was two turning three when we relocated. So they were all very young. Mm. 
And when we arrived in the States, obviously, I, after, after settling down, I started looking for a job. And when I started applying based on my, you know, credentials, medical writing kept on popping up. I had no mm. idea what medical writing was <laughs> because it just didn't exist in the UK. Right. And I, yeah, so I actually ignored a lot of those opportunities that came my way because I didn't know what medical writing was. And eventually I thought, okay, this is coming up. Let me just check out what it is. <laughs> so I went for an interview. This was with the INC Interactive Network mm-hmm. Medical Education. And they offered me the job. And that's how we say that that's when my medical writing career actually started or when I found out, well, oh, this is what medical writing is. Mm, it's quite nice. <laughs> and, and it was quite good because it, all the background that I have from my in a career as a researcher, you know, doing my doctorate, doing my postdoc, academia, uh, teaching with the Queen Mary, you know, trying to promote evidence-based practice. So I was able to combine all those skills and knowledge that I had, and I didn't really have to learn too much. Obviously, I had to learn the ropes, mm-hmm. but all the skills that I needed, I already had from my prior background. So I thought, yeah, this is actually something I can do, and I really enjoy doing. So that's how really I found medical writing. <laughs> and you actually found continuing medical education right at the beginning, which is interesting because it's such a subterranean world. And, and I really believe strongly that if you have the kind of background that you've described, and certainly this was my experience, you know, teaching research, maybe throw in some clinical experience there. Uh, some people have that as well. Then continuing medical education is really a sweet spot for those for those kinds of of skills. Not so much, I think. I mean, my experience certainly was, you know, at the beginning because I was finding medical writing coming up too when I was, you know beginning to look for for jobs. But a lot of those jobs at the time we were in California, in the Bay Area, a lot of those jobs were regulatory Mm. or on the promotional side where I think my background certainly at that time was not such a good fit for. And I would have struggled, I I think, in those environments as well. So I'm glad that I did find, you know, CME and CE when when I did. Mm -hmm. That's good. You you mentioned that, you know, you didn't know what medical writing was. And, you know, one of the things that happens for a lot of people is that, you know, they confuse uh, or they conflate medical writing with healthcare writing. What are the differences from your perspective? Yes, that's a great question. I actually had uh, one young person, well, a medical writer, and he came to me and asked, well, I've do- been doing a lot of writing, as in health writing. And I am not getting any opportunities with CME. Why is that? So I had to explain that CME writing and health writing are completely, you know, different things. And when you're starting off in medical writing, many people don't understand that it covers a whole spectrum of writing from, you know, you have promotional, you have regulatory, as you say, you have publications, you have even grant writing as a specialty. Mm-hmm. Then you have the medical education as in CME. You have the health writing. So depending on where you find yourself, where you land yourself, perhaps as an incoming writer, 
if you land on the where it's health writing, you know, you just assume that this is medical writing. It is. But CME is a type of medical writing that requires in-depth knowledge on the subject matter. It requires you to be able to write as much as the, you know, the people that you're actually targeting, i.e. those healthcare professionals. And when we say healthcare professionals, it covers the whole spectrum from the highly specialized to the generalist. And then we're also including the pharmacists, we're including the dentists, so all healthcare professionals. And with CME, and in some places they call it CPD, Continuing Professional mm-hmm. Development, mm-hmm. It, really it is different from health writing because with health writing, it's more general. It's more for the lay public. It, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't require research because it absolutely does. But in terms of your sources, it doesn't have to be primary. It doesn't have to be you know, research, back to re- with research evidence. It is, it's generally not accredited, whereas CME, in most cases, is accredited because this is what the doctors, healthcare professionals need. They need those mm-hmm. C- CME or CPD points. Mm-hmm. So I'll say generally the main difference between them is that CME is highly technical, specialized, targeted to the healthcare professionals who need to update their skills and knowledge, whereas where health writing is more targeted to the general public. It's generally not accredited. Uh, you can even insert your own opinion in some cases if it's appropriate. So, uh, and yeah, both, both are different. Yeah, and in some health writing, there's a looser style, isn't there? And certainly, you know, if you, if you mentioned WebMD. If you look at some of the kind of material on WebMD that is consumer health facing or patient facing, then th- there's there's a range of content from, you know, quite specific patient focused education to more news style pieces, which you know have have more of an element of. Well, they're just a little bit more fluid, maybe a little more opinion-based in some in some cases. And CME is not that. <laughs> right. And that's why uh, there is Medscape. Mm-hmm. Medscape is the physician arm mm-hmm. of WebMD. And if you go on Medscape, then you, t- you find the type of content that is CME, whereas general WebMD is really made for the, for the patient consumption or for the general. Yeah. And, and WebMD is is perhaps unusual in the sense that it has those two arms of uh, consumer health facing and health professional facing. I, I know that you uh, mentor medical writers who are kind of looking to move into CME. Are these confusions in terminology something that are a barrier to people moving into the field? Well, I guess I think I have two questions here. One is, one of the things that I hear a lot from new to the field medical writers who are kind of moving into CME is they'll use a lot of terms interchangeably. So medical education agencies versus medical education companies or medical education providers. And to me, an agency is more medcoms based than focusing on accredited medical education. Other things like that, you know, I think you, you mentioned that conflation between health writing and, and medical writing. Are these things that you see in new to the field writers that you have to work with them to help sort out the 
you know, the, the different threads of meaning there? Yes. You know, semantics is something that we all use. And sometimes we, as the medical writers or even the agencies, are part of the problem in that we also use some terminologies interchangeably. It is something that I've come across. And where I know that, for example, a medcom company uh, is mainly, you know, continuing medical education, it's not promotional. And whatever other terminologies that's used for that, whether it's, uh, you know, agency or otherwise, you know, medcom agency or medcom company, as long, it depends on what it is that they do. And if it's primarily creating content for physicians that is accredited, that follows all the guidelines of CME, then, you know, whether you're an agency or not, <laughs> whether you call yourself, that's what you are. Yeah. As opposed to promotional. So what I, tell people who come and ask, you know, is this an agency or is it a medcom or is it promotional? So, well, figure out what, what exactly what are they doing? What do you want to do? Because some new writers don't know what they want or they don't realize all the different, you know, spectrum of mm-hmm. writing. So the first thing I ask them is, you know, what, what do you like writing about? Who do you like to target when you write? In fact, I'm working with one young uh, lady right now. I asked her, uh, I mean, I, I gave a, a presentation, a webinar, and she was on the, in the audience and she came to me afterwards saying that she wants to do medical writing. I said, yes, okay, what kind of medical writing do you want to do? Yeah. So we had to, you know, break it down and, and distill until we get to, got to the point that she wants to do actually health writing. I said, okay. What kind of health writing? To who do you want to target? Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So it's always good to, I, I pay less attention on the words and the semantics and more focus on what, what it is you want to do. And then based on what you tell me, then I can say, Oh, actually, this is regulatory writing or this mm. is emotional or, you know, CME or I know it's actually patient level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I kind of deal with it. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's a good framework. I guess increasingly I'm seeing it less about semantics than, so for instance, in the Accreditation Council, the ACCME, gosh, that's just that whole acronym. Council. Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. It's, the, you know, if if you're an entity, an organization whose primary client is a pharmaceutical manufacturer, then you can't be accredited, an accredited education provider. And a lot of agencies do have manufacture, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers as their primary client. And so I guess, you know, increasingly I've been sort of caught up in that. Okay. It's not just about semantics. It's actually, it is actually part of the firewall and writers have to be. I have to at least know what side of the firewall they're on hmm. when they're creating accredited content versus creating content for education, which isn't necessarily part of an accredited package, as it were. So that's that's it's kind of top of mind for me at the moment. I'm thinking right. about that a lot. And we we had Graham McMahon on the podcast a few weeks ago, and so yeah, yeah. it's actually interesting you say that from. You know, now hearing it from that angle, I remember when I was at Medscape, mm-hmm. we had 
a physical firewall in that the yes yes, it had to be kept i.e you have to say all the cme folks were on one end of the building Mm -hmm. then you have to walk across a long corridor before you can get to the other end of the building where the promotional people were so in terms of yeah that um, but then of course Mescape had the luxury of space at that time. Was this the the Manhattan building? Uh, uh, no, that was before. This was when we, they were at Port Authority. Building. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But then, still, same building as Google, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I entered Google. Interesting. Yes, it was very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so with Mescape, with their luxury space, you can afford to do that. Whereas yeah. with a smaller agency, as you're saying, mm-hmm. that might be more difficult. And, uh, and I, yes, and I understand that the rules of CME is that you can't, you, know, you can't mix promotional mm-hmm. with, you know, continuing education, obviously. And once you get that funding, then it's supposed to be hands off, you know, as far as the funders are concerned. If you mention one drug, you have to mention them all. You can't, you know, promote one over the other, that kind of stuff. So if a small agency has both mixed up, then it can become a little bit, you know, yeah, it, it becomes, I understand, you know, that if there's too much promotional in one agency, then to say you're also a CME without strict firewall, mm. it becomes a little bit, Comes a little bit dicey, I think. And I agree. I agree. I think it does. Yeah. And I think there's been a, you know, waves crest and, and fall. I think, you know, after the congressional hearings and the introduction of the Physician Payment Sunshine Act and mm-hmm. some of those regulatory changes and the initial commercial standards for CME before the 2020 rework of the Standards for independence and integrity in in CME. I think that, you know, initially there was a real there was a physical separation between a lot of education providers who wanted to play in the in the accredited space versus education providers who did both promotional and accredited content. And then I think a few years ago, you know, those boundaries have started to kind of elide a little bit again. And there are some organizations who kind of play in both spaces. Mm-hmm. That gets confusing for new to the field writers because, you know, as I said, I, I believe they need to know where, what side of the firewall they're, they're on. But you, you uh, mentioned, go ahead. And I, and I guess that applies if you're an employee, right? Because if you are a freelancer or a consultant, and you're asked to, okay, this is the document we want you to write on. If it's a CME, then you're really not part and parcel of that. You're, you're not influenced by anything or anyone around you. You're just doing that piece of work. So I don't know whether, you know, the firewall issue applies if, you know, to employees in a physical location you know, doing both promotional and CME type work as opposed mm. to, you know, a contractor working independently. Mm. I'm not quite sure how that works, to be honest. Yeah, that's so interesting because I've, I've always taken that literally. And I think, and I do think there are sources of influence in, I mean, the very fact that we have to, we have to 
complete disclosures, you know, and conflicts of interest when we're working on accredited CME content suggests that there is the potential for for bias and and influence. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we as a as a group of writers mm-hmm. definitely want to believe that we are we're working in a way that is free from mm-hmm. free from bias. But you know, I think the potential is I think the potential is there. It's certainly something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And and you do, I don't know, maybe this is a question. Have you come across this? You do read, especially if you're in that mentoring space, you do read new to the field writers work sometimes where they they are slipping into that way of expressing ideas that is a little bit more promotional and doesn't adopt a fair and balanced mm. approach to the content that, you know, you have to kind of school new to the field writers on. Mm. I, I don't know, is that something you see when you're mentoring new to the field writers? Mm. You know what? Not not so much. Only because a lot of the time the people I mentor are people who work with me, mm. you know, who are perhaps working on projects that I've given them. So for example, I may be working with a client and the, the mentor will be doing aspects of that. You know, we'll be working together Got it. on a particular you know, project rather than a mentor, I mean, a mentee who is in maybe the workplace looking for someone to hold their hand. And I am not part and parcel of that workplace and I don't know what's going on. So most of the people that I work with as a mentor-mentee relationship is really content I have control of. <laughs> you know, I know exactly who is going to, you know, whether it's for CME or whether it's promotional. So I dictate, you know, that I set that, those boundaries right mm, from the go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that makes total sense. Sorry, go ahead. No, I like the point that you make about us being, you know, you know, our integrity being front and center of, you know, the work we do. Because if we know that this is CME and there's an external influence trying to shape the content of that CME, then if we know what the rules are, then it's for us to be able to push back and, you know, maintain that, that standards. But I do understand that especially as a freelancer or even as an employee, you are paid by the company and mm. you are paid to do the work. But I think there's a way that we can all exercise that integrity just to make sure that we uphold, you know, the rules of, of what CME, because I, I truly believe that medical practice and patient care and outcomes is all reflected in, you know, what the doctor knows and, and the skills that they have, and they build those skills based on evidence. So it's up to us Absolutely. to make sure that they have that evidence they need. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, there's been a lot of chat on the American Medical Writers Association Engage platform lately around mentorship. And so, you know, I applaud you for, for being a mentor. And it sounds as though your model is, and you described it as, you know, you're working on projects. And so you're, you're inviting or pulling people in to work on those projects with you and providing them with mentorship. Mm-hmm. Is that a sustainable model for people who work freelance in order to provide 
mentorship. And I, I guess I asked that question for two reasons. On the Engage platform, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of concern that that's not a sustainable model because when you're working freelance, yeah, you control the content, but you don't necessarily have access to additional budget mm-hmm. to support the incredible investment of time and energy that it takes to actually mentor or coach somebody to to do the work. And I think there are, we might get into semantics here again, <laughs> Helen, because there are difference between, differences between coaching and guiding and, and teaching and, and, and mentoring. And, the, and I know from my own experience, when I've, there've been a couple of periods where, you know, I've taken on subcontractors and there's been an element of teaching in order to make sure that the work you know, meets the the way I want things done. And it's just a lot of work. You know, I made a decision around about 2014. I wasn't going to do that anymore because it's such a huge investment it is. in time. So talk to me a little bit about how you've de- developed your model and what you see as, you know, in that whole debate that, that people are having within AMWA at the moment. Mm-hmm. Where does mentoring go? What what is a potentially sustainable model for the organization to think about or for individuals within the organization to think about? Very long question. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's very interesting. I have actually been following those discussions on uh, on Engage. And I know that Amwa National uh discussed it and mm-hmm. said not at this time. Right. And I some somehow I do agree with them not not yet. Because what we are doing as mentors, we are all doing it haphazardly, including what I do. This is just something that works for me and something Mm -hmm. that I felt was important enough for me to do. Yeah. But you can't expect other people to do the same because as freelancers, uh, as consultants, we are our own individual businesses and it's our job to make the money and bring the, you know, make the revenue. And time is money. So if you are mentoring somebody, where do you find the time to do that? Now, on Engage, yes, people are, I mean, one school of thought is saying, or one side of the argument is that uh, do work for free so you can get some experience. And the other side of the argument is, no, don't do work for free (laughs) because you deserve to be paid. Both of them are good arguments. On the side of do work for free, you know, it becomes, yes, you're doing it for free, but the person who is going to provide you that guidance, do they have the time to do it? Mm. That, that becomes a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you can, how much time will they invest? I, for one, as a freelancer, you know, I'm always against a deadline. Yeah. If I have a deadline to meet, I meet that deadline. Okay. And sometimes it's multiple deadlines because you don't only have one client. So mm-hmm. that becomes a challenge. On the side. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, no, we, are, we all face the same challenges. You know, this <laughs> feast of famine, maybe on the period of my famine, <laughs> then perhaps I'll have the time. But when it's, when you have the work, you do the work and you're, Ability to meet those deadlines is part of your reputation, correct? Absolutely. So, so you, you just do it. But then the side that is arguing for payment. Now, if you pay for something, 
you are expecting a certain outcome or a mm-hmm. certain reward or whatever it is that you're looking for. We don't have a guideline on mentoring. Nobody says that you, know, you pay an X amount of dollars. What is it are you getting back? And is it standardized across all the mentors? That doesn't exist. Do we need training to be a mentor? I don't know because nobody's discussed it. So I agree with Amwa National that this is not the right time for us to do it. We certainly need a mentor and a mentee relationship, but there needs to be some level of a guideline for us to follow. Because I don't want to pay an X amount of dollars to whoever. What am I getting for that X amount of dollars? Nobody knows. Some will be good and some will be not so good. And maybe some will be absolutely rubbish. So we need to have a minimum standard. Now, what I do is because I have this desire to lift people up, mm-hmm. you know, because I became a, a medical writer and I would say became a successful medical writer. Not because I'm a brilliant writer, but because of the help I was given along the way, the opportunities I was given. Somebody taught me how to do this. Yeah. Yes, I had the skills to write, but the way you write it, somebody showed me how. I made mistakes mm-hmm. and somebody corrected those mistakes. Therefore, I need to give somebody that opportunity. And that's why I do what I do. And as I say, and that's why the projects that I work on with mentees is my projects. It's a little bit different now because of the Milo initiative that we're going to talk about a bit later. We are. That is part of the, if you like, the trajectory, Uh, not only guiding those who I work with on the CME or even non-CME projects Mm -hmm. that I do here in the States. But a lot of the people that I'm now mentoring are not even in the United States. But it's part of that. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. And thank you for really kind of parsing that out. I think that's really, really helpful. It, it is an ongoing debate. And it's not the first time that AMWA has been engaged in this debate. I just want to say that the mentor discussion needs to continue because mm-hmm. Medical writing is almost exploding. So many people want to do mm. medicating. They need to be, uh, you know, guidance. So for Amwa National and for all of us, I think we definitely need to continue that debate. It's very important. No, I completely agree. There are no pathways, uh, no clear pathways into medical writing. I mean, that's partly why I started, you know, working with writers who are interested in CME. There's no clear, clear path into CME. And so... I, you know, I know I can provide some teaching around skills mm-hmm. in order to support people who are kind of thinking about this particular specialty. So I, I agree there needs. And, and in, in relation to CME, that's not just a, a debate or a discussion that AMWAR are having, but also the Alliance for Continuing Education in, in the Health Professions. There aren't clear pathways for people into CME, whether you're a writer whether you're a program manager, a grant manager, a scientific director, an educational strategist, right. 
And that, that is definitely something that the profession as a whole is, is kind of looking at. So I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective for sure. This conversation with Helen reinforced for me how important it is for CME writers to advocate for ourselves in this field and to recognize the intellectual contributions that we make to CME and CE content. CME writers are instrumental in maintaining the integrity of education content. So here are my key takeaways from today's conversation. First, there are important distinctions between medical writing and health writing. Health writing targets the general public, whereas medical writing that is specifically for accredited CME requires an in-depth understanding of subject matter and the ability to communicate complex information effectively to health professionals. Second, if you have a background in research, academia or clinical expertise, you can parlay that expertise into CME medical writing. Your experiences will provide a solid foundation for understanding complex medical topics and thinking about how to translate these into education activities that have an applied dimension. As writers, it's important for us to be aware of industry standards, such as accreditation requirements, and the importance of developing unbiased, evidence-based information in CME. And finally, there are ongoing debates around mentorship models within the medical writing community and the American Medical Writers Association in particular. Providing quality mentorship requires a large investment time, which can be challenging for freelance writers. So it's important to be aware of that, And organizations are discussing how to create sustainable mentorship programs for new writers in medical writing in general and in CME, including Write CME Pro, which is a professional development membership for medical writers who want to specialize in creating CME and CE content. How can you put today's session into practice? Well, first of all, identify your area of interest. Reflect on which aspect of medical writing most aligns with your skills and interests, whether it's CME, regulatory writing, or health writing. Second, educate yourself. Engage in continuous learning to understand the nuances of your chosen area. That could involve taking specialized courses, attending workshops, And of course, subscribing to Write Medicine, which is the only weekly podcast for CME and CE professionals, including medical writers. And if finding a mentor seems out of reach, you can at the very least connect with experienced professionals in the field. This can provide guidance, help you avoid common pitfalls and accelerate your career development. And so finally, stay informed keep up with the latest trends and standards in CME and CE writing to make sure that your work remains relevant and compliant. That's it for today. Hop on over to the blog on my website at alexhausen.com for more resources on CME and CE. Next up on Wednesday, Regina Simonier is back to talk about transitions and professional identities, which is a theme in the professional development domain of the 2024 Alliance Annual Meeting that takes place in New Orleans between February the 5th and the 8th. I'm presenting at the meeting, so if you're going, come and find me 
and let's find time to chat over a cup of tea or coffee. Don't miss out on any of Right Medicine episodes. Subscribe to the podcast on your listening platform. The link is in the show notes. And until the next time, connect with me on LinkedIn, grab your Right CME roadmap, or subscribe to the podcast newsletter, Right Medicine Insider. And consider joining Write CME Pro, the professional development membership for medical writers who want to specialize in creating CME and CE content. Stay curious and keep learning. <laughs>